Welcome to Gov Actually, the podcast about how government works. How it actually works. I'm Dan Tangerlini, Chief Financial Officer of the Emerson Collective, and this is the FedScoop Radio Network. And I'm Danny Werfel from the Boston Consulting Group. We launched this pod to try to get beyond the personalities and the politics. Right. We want to talk about how things actually get done in the government, the people who do it, and the challenges they face. So let's talk. Hey, Danny, uh, we're back. Uh, we're in a pandemic issue of um, Gov Actually, and we were just reminiscing that the last Gov Actually that we, we actually recorded was in the FedScoop studios. Well, the, actual, the last Gov Actually that we actually recorded that is, is going to hopefully make it out to the world, and that's a whole other story, uh, was in the FedScoop studios. And if you remember, because I certainly do, I was still shaking people's hands. I'd ridden the subway there and was going to take it back. And you, you were like the ghost of Christmas future warning me that that whole world was about to come to a, a halt. When you, when you wouldn't shake my hand, you barely looked me in the eye, you Purelled every few seconds. <laughs> and now I'm out of Purell. So I should have rationed better. That was my, yeah. that was my mistake. But yeah, I was, um, I was a little ahead of the curve on this in terms of uh, worrying. I'm good at worrying. It's like one of my, yeah. one of my, that's. I think, I think I'm a pretty good worrier too, but uh, I, I, was, I also like to try to take the view that don't, don't succumb to your worries, be calm. The I would first, say you're, I'm type A. Generally wrong. I'm type A, I think you're type A minus. Mm. My blood type is O negative, but that's a different story. And, and now and I'm O positive. The red, is, uh... <laughs> exactly. The Red Cross is going to come looking for me because O negative is universal donor. Um, but uh, so, so much has changed. And then I was going to say that we had actually gave, given, we, we, we gave a try at doing another, uh, another episode between that time and this time. And uh, we. And we failed. We failed. Yeah, we failed. Our we technology failed. didn't work. And it wasn't Billy's fault. It was not Billy's fault. It, you know, um, blame a variety, a variety of different uh, mess ups that I think I think we've overcome. You definitely have fixed your headphones. My internet is a little more stable because no one's up yet in the house. Um, <laughs> and uh, and our poor guest, Eric Thorson, uh, the former IG of the Treasury Department, who had so many incredible insights about the Inspector General's office and about all the different um, uh, issues around Inspectors General, um, he, he bore the brunt of our not yet Zoom-based technical competence. So. But at least we got smarter about the role of the IG during the uh, a pandemic and a recovery period. And it was timely. We, 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 we taped the podcast that, that won't air because of the technology issues in and around the time that there was a lot of moving pieces on inspectors generals, you know, being removed from office or being, you know, assigned the special inspector general role for the, for the pandemic response. And so it was a, you know, as we always are, we were trying to be timely. Um, and uh, and and take a a kind of look under the hood of of how government works and kind of really get behind the scenes on the inspector general. Yeah, and so we'll have to we'll have to come back to that um, 
that conversation, that that topic another time, because the uh, the inspectors general is a very, very interesting, unique and fascinating aspect of uh, of the federal government and its and its operations. So it's a, it's it's real serious gov actually fodder. Um, we apologize that you didn't get to hear it, folks, but you will. Uh, we'll we'll get it right and we'll come so before back. Before we but... before we get into like the the geeky government content, like how how are you doing? You know with the with with your new routine is it what's it like being at home all the time any i i have some reflections on working from home um or working during a pandemic that i thought i'd start with yeah you know i, I want to be thoughtful and careful and, and generous to the to the wonderful people i get to share this house with and and it, it's uh, <laughs> it's funny we, good we start have, good start we, right exactly so anything after this um please take in the spirit that i started um you know we have both of our of our daughters home uh one who's finished college and actually managed to get a job about two weeks before uh everything changed so dramatically and and it's a company that actually works in a field that's helpful um, uh, at this time. So she's actually sitting in the basement doing cold calls, uh, trying to sell this product. And um, it's, it's really fun to watch her kind of grow into a contributing working adult with, with worries about offices and, and, and quotas and, you know, all the, all the good stuff, the workaday good stuff. So it's fun to watch that. Um, her younger sister's home from college and she couldn't be more bummed out than to be away from college. I mean, who would want to leave sophomore year of college? And she was having a great year. It's a uh. wonderful school. It's a little school that focuses on complete education and lots of classroom discussion. And she's like, mm, uh, Zoom doesn't quite do it. So, uh, you know, and then, the you know, the sisters are back to being sisters a little bit. And but we bought a pandemic puppy um, that oh. seemed like a great idea at the time. And she's super cute, but puppies are a lot of work. Oh, wow. In case you didn't know, we could do a whole puppy actually thing. Although don't ask me about training. Well, I, at um, some point so, you need to, you know, you need to put the puppy up on the zoom so I can see the puppy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that we will do that towards the end. Cause at that okay. point mayhem. Okay. Speech, you know, <laughs> after that. What's the puppy's over. name? Uh, Clover. Um, okay. She's joining our dog, Duck. We've always had two dogs. This is the longest time we've gone without two dogs. We were beginning to think maybe we're a one dog family now. And then we thought, hey, we've got the girls home. We've got a little. So you're not doing like a pandemic uh, uh, inspired name, like meet my new puppy, Fauci. No, it's not Fauci, but Clover <laughs> sounds a little bit like COVID. We didn't, there you, go. We, you know, like two years from now, if you're walking around with a dog named COVID, you know, it's, it's gonna, I don't know. It just, yes. We, but uh, yeah, so the first dog's name is Duck. So it's Duck and Clover, not Duck and Cover, but there's a, yes, a I like it. Somewhere. Yeah, anyway. By so, the way, uh, any, any of our GovActionally listeners, feel free to steal my idea of naming your puppy Fauci or your kid or your kid or your kid yes or your kid <laughs> yeah you, your first name doctor middle name Fauci Dr. <laughs> Fauci yeah wonderful um how about work 
like one of the things I I've I've noticed about life right now is I maybe mean, I don't know if this is specific to my work, but people are scheduling calls and meetings like at all hours. Like it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like weekend. Like we've lost the structure of of the workday. Have you well, noticed I, that? Yeah, I feel like I've always been a, a little bit bad about those boundaries. You know, um, always felt like the work was super important. The you know that there was urgency and exigency, and I was working with other people who felt the same way. So we were always there was always time on the weekends you were calling someone and you know, things would stretch to, you know, into the evening. Um, I'm, I'm still, you know, spending a lot of time with folks in California. So oh, I yeah. noticed that people, my East Coast people are not up as early as they used to be. Like the whole 8 a.m. meeting is, is not a thing right now. So everyone wants to do 10 um, and then it goes Goes late, late because the California people are working late and then you know it's one thing when you're at the office working late it's another thing when you're sitting in the house and my office sorry is next to air quotes there is next to the kitchen and so you know people want to start getting dinner and I'm like on a zoom call it's um so yes. yeah I'd have to say I, I, I'm primarily the problem here Yes, going back to I my am earlier statement. Big time the problem because you're home all day, but you're not really home. So that yeah. kind of creates creates some some tension. Have you found like I find that when I'm at the office, I get up, I walk around, I I I'm always getting my steps, I'm always getting my time, I'm always getting you know for on my on my my Apple Watch, you know, I'm always closing the ring. Now my Apple Watch is like, you know, you know how it does that little thing where it says like breathe and it's trying to make you do some kind of mindfulness Stance thing. time exactly. to stand up dan yeah, normally at this time you've <laughs> you've, you've yeah. made more progress on your move ring yeah i get yeah. that yes it's it's actually telling me to literally breathe it's like it's worried that i yes like mine but well but here's what i've done in response to that which is okay. i'm taking a lot of calls on the on the road and walking around my block. I'm walking around my mm. block so much that my neighbors have started to, to notice how often I'm walking around the and block. And they're saying, wow, ooh, geez, the Werfel household must be a pretty The other thing I've learned about walking around the block while taking a call, I mean, it doesn't work if someone's, you know, kind of you know, broadcasting a, a deck or something like exactly. that. Exactly, I ran into but, but if they're not, I, I'm better, I concentrate better because I'm not, you know, there's no ability to multitask. I don't have, mm -hmm. like if I take a call and I'm sitting in front of my computer, I can't, and the emails are piling up. Right. And I see one, I'm like, oh, I better go check that email. And meanwhile, I'm on a call. So the, so the person on the call doesn't have my full attention. But if I'm That's walking true. around the block and getting my steps in, you have me. I am 100% I am locked in. And I'm sorry, so I concentrate what'd you, better. What did you say? I was just doing an email. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But I do, I do find that the having, I have a big screen, I've got my laptop, my phone's here. It's like, it's, I'm, I'm in ADD central here. It's bad. So you're right, going and taking a walk. The only problem is on the deck. So I, I was, 
I was on a call yesterday and I was trying hard not to let people know I was on a walk. So I asked a question and you could hear this kind of uncomfortable pause on the other side and like, well, I guess you can't see the deck because this on the screen right now is the answer to your question. And I was like, ah, okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'll teach you for trying to engage. But anyway, um, so all right, wait, the, one more, one more fun question before sure. we get to that. No, no, no. What's the best Netflix, Amazon show you've discovered while on quarantine? Well, I don't know. Again, going back to this earlier remark about um, boundaries and work, the only thing I've been able to squeeze in is the occasional uh, episode from season three of Ozark. So my wife and I are still picking away at Ozark. My kids, on the other hand, like one of them just, um, just watched like, well, everyone's watched The Tiger King, but me. I haven't seen um, that one either, but that's okay. Yeah. But my and, family uh, watched it. There was some other series, um, that one of my kids watched it, just watched the entire thing. And I'm like, how did, how did you do that? She's like, yeah, it was only six hours. There are only, there are only uh, 10 episodes. Sorry, my daughter walked in and was mad that I was uh, saying that. And may have to, <laughs> she's she's, she may she's editing you in real time or have her join the podcast. You may <laughs> literally need to bleep her out. She did have the puppy though. I think she's gone. Oh, okay. I think she's taking it out. So, so my my um, favorite show has been uh, Unorthodox. I don't know if you've I've heard, heard of this. Great things about it. I've heard great things about it. It's only four episodes, so you can literally knock yeah. it out in a night or two. Um, okay. So that's been my favorite. And I am, I'm just like, you know, I'm working my way through Ozark season three. I'm like on episode mm -hmm. six or something like that. So. Sorry, this is something that never happened. Fed scoop. Um, the dishwasher finished the load and was beeping wildly in the back. <laughs> you got that. These are so. these are the issues that we, we currently have. All right, let's talk about some. So, by the way, I, yeah, that ne that never happens for any of the late night folks who are who are you know they're doing their shows from home. So I'm not entirely sure that they might not be like sets of home, like. Mm. Well, if they're late night hosts, they probably have houses big enough that they can uh, record like in right. the east wing right. away from the kitchen. Good point. So meanwhile, you and I are not late night hosts, but we're on our way. Like this podcast is our ticket to, I, I think there's a moment in the near future where you and I are on some type of red carpet in tuxes with cameras flashing. Sure. So back, do you see sure. that moment? The potties. <laughs> Potty, sure that, that would be good it. for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, on on the podcast front, um, my younger daughter. I just want you to know that this is a family business now. My younger daughter is actually doing a podcast for her college, um, and that's one of her wow. frustrations about being back here is that she doesn't have the recording studio. I mean, that's how much further along she is than me wow um, the podcasting in your family that's i know it's a family and my wife is family. my wife has been the guest on a podcast now three times on uh dealing oh. with um she's a school psychologist dealing with like you know wow. tips for stress relief for students so this podcast thing it's like running in the family it's exciting 
and we just haven't been able to book her is that the problem <laughs> it's actually it's an right? interesting idea like stress relief for federal employees during, sure. during stressful times is it, i mean i think it's normally stressful for a federal employee but how about now i mean mm. unbelievable for everybody mm-hmm. well and that actually is a good pivot because um you know, there's lots and lots of talk now, and I don't know how much of it is um, cabin fever related and how much of it is, you know, um, supported by epidemiology, but, you know, lots of talk, talk about reopening. There are states that are beginning to reopen. And actually, I've spent the last um, uh, week and a half working with um, the mayor's office on their reopen DC task force. And that's, that's a whole fascinating exercise and big questions relate here in DC uh, to our largest employer and that's the federal workforce and how they're gonna handle reopening. So lots of interesting questions yeah. around that. Yeah, well, let, let me start though with an interesting, I think an interesting observation, which is if you would have painted the scenario of the pandemic for me back in December before or November before anyone knew it was happening and you described the stay-at-home reality and this kind of open question in terms of how to balance decisions on when to reopen versus it and and the you know the strain that it was having on the economy and people's ability to provide for their families etc with the balance against the tension of public health concerns. I would have wrongly predicted that the federal government would have been directly responsible for these decisions. I am, I am surprised in retrospect how, how much of a state and local issue it is. It makes sense in retrospect because the conditions on the ground are different in Montana than they are in New York City. But it also just strikes me that there's a lot more center of gravity on decisions and pandemic response from state local at the state and local level than at than at the federal level than I would have thought. I know you you actually worked in state and local government and are now working um, or supporting uh, the DC effort to decide when to reopen. Is this, is this exactly what you would have anticipated or are you surprised in some ways? I, you know, I, I, think, I think I'm also surprised. I don't know if there's a good playbook. The traditional playbook would be, let's look at any kind of disaster. Well, disasters are very, tend to be very localized. So naturally the the primary responsibility flows down to the state and the locality. I can't really think of too many times we've faced a comprehensive national disaster like this. You know, those, those are times of attack or war or, you know, um, and so that's going to generally be, or, or, or financial crisis, you know, like we had in 2008. So that's generally going to be led by the federal government. But as you pointed out, this is a very, this is a national, uh, nationally impacting incident in which the, um, the impact is disparate depending on the geography. And that 
the services that are being provided are primarily, if not provided by states and localities, regulated by states and localities. And that even varies by state. You know, who is in charge of hospital systems or regulating hospital systems? And you're seeing that play out. I think, you know, the, the epicenter for all of this is New York. And I think ultimately, New York has demonstrated the path to trying to balance the state and the local, as well as the state, local, and federal. Yeah, New York is, it's interesting, just a side note. It's like, so my setup here at home is I, I have my, my computer, my desk, and I have a TV with, with, uh, with the news on in the background, typically CNN or something like that. And then when I look up and I see uh, Governor Cuomo's press conference has started, I know it's almost lunchtime. It's like, a, it's like a Pavlovian response. Like I see Cuomo, I get hungry. Cause it's like, right. cause he usually comes on at like 1130, 1145. I'm like, oh, Cuomo's on, it's almost lunchtime. So he's we become should, part of my routine. We should hand the puppy over to you cause clearly your routines are more established and that would help with the puppy. Okay, and, I would love yeah. <laughs> to, to watch the puppy. Although the cat, I have a killer cat in my house who just, yeah. puppy's does not like dogs. Doesn't understand yeah. it. Um, I would, but I, I wouldn't, yeah. Another, another, another interesting example, but I think less instructive is the District of Columbia. I think uh, Mayor Bowser has been doing a great job threading the needle, but you know the District of Columbia is 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 different because it is a you know it's a city state. It doesn't have the you know the broad diversity, frankly, of um, geographies that a state like New York or California has, where you're going to have pockets of of you know hot spots of infection and you're going to have places where people are wondering if you know what's this all about because they're, right they're not it doesn't seeing. have an urban versus a rural or even an urban versus suburban uh construct right now there are disparities within the city of of impact and that's a really um that's a really you know, that that's very concerning and what you've seen manifest in that disparity is is real uh, racial and economic disparities that are indicative yes. of some broader problems and issues that I frankly think are issues of national policy and national concern. They're Another national super important um, thread to pull on the on the pandemic is the 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 disparate impact that it has um, along income, race, um, you know, there's a there's a ton to unpack there, and I hope I hope that 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 people will um, not just academics, but um, but a public policy effort because there should be things that we can do during peacetime, during non-pandemic or non-crisis. To figure some of that out and try to um, support, you know, different communities and particularly vulnerable populations um, during 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 crises, and we, we it's something that we should strive to get better at. Yeah, I mean, I think some of the some of the issues are the the disparate impact at some level mirrors the uh, disparities that support uh, the the separation, the political separation we're seeing in the country, uh, in some cases it doesn't, you know, older people are, are, are deeply 
threatened um, by this uh, by this virus. So there is the urban rural split. There are splits across. Um, so there's splits across race, geography, and income. But the age split is is one that's um, kind of skewing it. It's actually skewing its impact more towards uh, older folks. So why don't we take a break and when we come back, could we dive into like the federal government reopening and and talk about like kind of the realities of, of the virus po post open? Because, I, you know, there's some fundamental questions that I'm having trouble getting my mind around in terms of how we are going to navigate this. And I'd love to start to explore them with you. That'd be great. Um, while we take a break, I'm going to try to read up on what the federal government's plans are for reopening. So <laughs> you should, because I have tough questions for you, Dan. Uh, uh oh, uh oh. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll talk in a sec. All right. Cool. Gov Actually is brought to you by the good folks at the FedScoop Radio Network. Be sure to check out what is happening on the forefront of government technology innovation at FedScoop, as well as the most important issues facing cybersecurity professionals at CyberScoop. GovActually is also supported by the Boston Consulting Group and the Center for Public Impact. All right, Danny, we're back. And uh, during the break, we, uh, we did a little bit of uh, playing with the knobs and dials on the technical side. I, I apologize. I think I might have, uh, have a little bit of technical glitchiness here, but we'll, we'll try to figure it out or we'll, we'll just recognize the fact this is the world we, we live in. So, yes, exactly. Um, all right, you you would teed us up for an interesting second half. Um, I went off and did some studying, so you know, let's talk about it. Yeah. So here's my understanding that we social distance, not not to eradicate the virus, but we social distance to slow the spread of the virus so that we don't overwhelm the healthcare system. You know, we can't have everybody getting sick at the same time. We have to spread it out because there's an inevitability to, to the virus's spread. So when we talk about flattening the curve, we're spread, we're, the number of people that will be infected will likely be the same whether we flatten the curve or not. It'll just spread across a, a, a longer period of time which will mean that, that when, if you need to go to the hospital, when you show up, there'll be a bed for you or God forbid, a, a ventilator if needed. Um, so that raises some really challenging questions as you think about reopening, for example, DC and the federal government, because you're essentially, um, I mean, it's challenging for anyone to reopen, but you're essentially walking into a situation where there's an expectation that the workforce will be impacted by this and there will be infections. It just will be a slower rate of infection than would have otherwise if we didn't socially distance. Is that your understanding as well? And if that's the case, should we be thoughtful about how we reopen government and reopen in, in, in stages and iterations versus opening all at once? Uh, so let me take them in reverse. Um, and the answers are, as I understand them, yes and no. <laughs> and that is, <laughs> yes, we should be thoughtful and careful in reopening the government. And no, I don't actually think the way it works is that there is some inevitable 
number of people who get the virus and it's just a matter of whether we do it fast or whether we do it slow. There okay. is, you know, the possibility, you, 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 you can slow the rate of transmission to the point where um, the virus just stops or, or just transmits at a, at a very, very low rate. You could actually create circumstances where you, you actually do force nearly everyone to get it. You overwhelm the hospital system and, and everyone, you know, there are lots of sick people and there's lots of misery. There is the other uh, possibility that the, the, the curve gets flattened and the, and the virus actually peters out just the way cold and flu season peters out. I think that part of the concern is that we don't actually know because this is a novel coronavirus. So, you know, there's a real opportunity for us to be learning from those people who are you know, way ahead of us. You know, people in, in China, people in Italy, um, other places who are way, even our own cities. And, you know, the hope is that, well, I'm sure the medical community who is, who is deeply and continually in touch and engage with each other. But, you know, you, the, I could see this as being part of the functions of the State Department, frankly, is to really be digging in and understanding deeply what is actually happening in these other countries as a as a way kind of like like present me should have been listening a little more closely to future you when we last did this podcast and so given all that uncertainty that's why i come back to you know the statement that the federal government who's the largest employer in dc should be very very careful about um about how they come back I also think, you know, we've all learned, we've all learned that it, it, it ain't perfect, witness some of the technical glitches with this podcast, but we've all learned how to operate at some level, for those of us who can, virtually, why, why rush it and take the risk then if there is some ability to maintain productivity? Yeah, I mean, also, I, my my understanding further is that you reopen and you reopen differently. Um, for example, you know, restaurants are, you know, only at certain capacity. Um, you know, let's say, well, you know, I, I'm thinking back to my IRS days and there's a, there's an auditorium in the IRS and, you know, you could hold a town hall meeting in the auditorium. I don't think they should do that, you know, cause we're going to, we're not going to gather you know, the welcome 10. back, the welcome yeah. back meeting where you bring <laughs> exactly. everyone into the auditorium. Yeah, no, no, I think I suggest the commissioner of the current commissioner of IRS do their town hall remotely, you know, with uh, even if people are, are coming back into work, um, you might not have the same conference room um, uh, type meetings, uh, co-location will be limited. You might see more uh, like what you're seeing if you go to the supermarket right now, when I go to the supermarket, there's someone assigned just to be Lysoling and wiping down the carts before they, they hand it to me. So uh, before I grab a shopping cart, there's someone who's, who's scrubbed the, the handle for me. I'm wondering when, when we come back, um, do we come back into a world where we're doing a couple of different things? One, there's, there's a kind of a, in a, 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 a lens of like who needs to be at the office versus who doesn't going back to your point um, in terms of like a like more working at home at least for the next year 
maybe, I don't know, um, than we've had historically. So a lot more teleworking, but then why, also- yeah, why, yeah, why, why say for the next year? I mean, it almost seems like, look, we did a lot of work on this when I was at GSA building on even, you know, a bunch of work that had been started by my predecessor. And we actually, you know, we looked really seriously post post uh, Sandy, we got very, very serious about this and said, you know, resiliency and connectivity and flexibility for the federal workforce to do their work remotely um, was, was massively, you know, productivity enhancing and tremendously value add. And I, I bet the GSA is benefiting greatly from, you know, the ability to leverage those prior investments and giving people laptops, which was considered mind blowing. You know, I remember someone asking me like, well, aren't people going to steal them? And I'm like, why? <laughs> I mean, and maybe they will, you know, but they're going to steal, you know, if, if they're inclined to steal things, they're going to steal desktops too. So, um, and we didn't, we didn't see a huge rate of loss. Um, what we did see was a massive amount of productivity increase in cases where the government had to shut down, such as snowstorms. We had um, data from the number of people who were able to log in and do their work in a snowstorm in 2010. It was only 14% of people. And in 2014, after we'd done this full telework effort, we had 89% of GSA people able to log in um, on their computers uh, and, and do their work. Uh, from home during a, a yeah. closure event. So it's, it's you know what's I, interesting is like right, right as the pandemic was becoming a story, like like very early on, even before I think we did our last taping and I was Purelling, I went on Gov Matters TV, and the topic that Francis and I spoke about was was the fact that the um, that the Social Security and some other agencies, EPA, others had like started to pull back on telework and started to reverse the, the trend a bit um, and recalibrate back to more people being on site. Um, and we, you know, Francis and I were saying like, hmm, I wonder if this, if this coronavirus thing hits the U.S., whether that will have a, you know, an, an impact and, and, re and reverse the, the trend back. And what you're describing and maybe this is a, a reality is just that we may never again think think about you know the our buildings being full and that has really interesting implications on on the way we work on the way we manage our real estate on the way we do it security you know um uh, on the way we train our employees in terms of the types of uh uh, information that they can handle at home versus not at home. Um, you know, I, I think that's something that uh, that public administrators are going to have to think through. How does a more permanent mass telework scenario impact some of the basic blocking and tackling that we do in government every day? And do we have to think differently about about all these things? Like, what are we going to do with all this real estate, Dan? That's your area of expertise. If we're not, uh, because remember, I think we've talked about this on the podcast that when, when you guys moved out of 1800 F Street and went up to Noma during the Recovery Act construction, you, you said like, 
you know, the building was like half full all the time because you measured the, um, the occupancy. Yeah, no, so we, we did, we had actually, and this was even before we moved up to Noma. And so when we moved up to Noma, we adopted the, these open office and unassigned seating. We, we started the process of moving towards a more modern and open um, office. And we can talk a little bit about open office <laughs> in the context of coronavirus uh, in this world. But what we found was even at the busiest, busiest time uh, in, the, uh, in the old headquarters building, only 42% of people who were assigned to the building were actually ever there. And that was fine. It was not that people were, you know, there were people on vacation, there were people who were sick, there were people on travel, but, you know, as an organization whose entire job was to sell services to other agencies, um, it was right for them to be out there selling services to other agencies. And my argument with, with supervisors and others was, look, if you need to actually see your workers to determine whether they're being productive or not, you, you have a different problem. You know, you have a problem of uh, lack of clarity of, um, of uh, outcomes, of, of measures, and, and, and it's severe trust problem. And so... Um, well, we I don't know that I agree with that to be, you know, I think... I'm going to take issue with that. I think it's more kind of like we have to train our, our, ourselves to be good at it. Like, I'll give you an analogy. Like, I, you know, we, we, I have teenagers, you have uh, teenagers and college kids, and like, they're growing up with, with iPhones and Snapchat and Instagram. And I don't necessarily know how to parent it because I wasn't parent. I was parented on don't watch too much TV. Right. And so this is like a whole new world. So I, I didn't experience it. So I need to learn how to parent that. And so I feel like employers today who didn't grow up um, in, in a, in a professionally in a world with mass telework need to learn how to manage in this situation. Um, and um, so I think it's similar to what you said. I think mine's a little bit more politically correct. <laughs> okay, I think we might, yes, I think we might be getting to the same place with a slightly, I might be taking a shortcut. Um, and, 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 and <laughs> I think you're right. Uh, yes, maybe. <laughs> and that was my point. It's just frustrating was the sense, there was this expectation that if you couldn't see folks that they were, that they were not working. And I'm like, well, if, I, I, I know for a fact that if you can see folks that they could also not be working. The question is, what is your work? How do you measure output? How do you measure value? How do you measure contribution, what are the things that are important? And those are really, really hard conversations to have um, and they're not fun. So it'd be better and easier to just say, you show up, we all look like we're working and then you know, we agree at the end of the day that we, we worked. Um, and so it, it forces people to become a little bit more clear, a much more transparent and, and build trust between supervisors and supervisees. Um, uh, around the work, it's not it's not easy, and and at some in some points, you know, it's not for everyone. You know, we yeah. we joked about this. You know, the mint, you know, they can't you know make money virtually. That's actually called counterfeiting. So you know, you have, you well, you Bitcoin. Have to go. They can make Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a whole other episode. That's a whole but, other episode. Um, yeah. Yeah, but so when we moved back to the headquarters building, we actually doubled the number of people in the building. We, we got rid of three leases and we, we doubled the number of 
people in the building, number of people assigned to the building. And all we did was actually move the building occupancy towards capacity. Um, so there is a lots and lots of opportunity for efficiency in real estate, but it is contingent on things like being able to do telework. And then in the case of that building was actually being able to use the space more efficiently by dramatically increasing the amount of shared and open office space, which now gets this question of what part of shared and open office space sounds great in an era of pandemic. So yeah. that, that's where it begins. When you say, hey, we can get rid of all this real estate, I, I normally would have been 100% behind you. I just haven't figured out how you do it in a way that kind of, frankly, clearly establishes a sense of safety and security. And I think that that has to be around cleaning. It has to be around, you know, PPE. Um, it has yeah, to be around, yeah. yeah, clarity of expectation that if you're sick or even mildly feeling sick, that you can fall back then to telework so that, you know, you can gain some clearance. And, and then it might mean, you know, having more of a, uh, a physical presence of some kind of medical staff or medical evaluation capability. So I'm going to close by teasing a couple of future episodes here. Uh, okay. One is, I think, I think everyone in government, every CIO, CFO, assistant secretary, could be and should be asking themselves the question right now is like, how has my strategic priorities, risks, way of working different today than it was in November? How should I be thinking about my, my responsibilities? Because I do think this is a seminal event that is gonna forever change the way, the way we work, the way we live, um, and it will have fundamental impacts on, on federal operations and federal programs. Um, we talked about, like from a CIO's perspective, we talked about IT security and technology. Um, from a facilities manager standpoint, we talked about real estate and cleaning and spacing. So I think there's a lot of interesting conversations for you and I to track as we go forward. Another interesting question is one that you and I were talking about and emailing about, um, which I think we're gonna to try to do in our next episode, which is this debate that has emerged around, and I talked about a little bit earlier, there's this tension between the economic toll of social distancing and the impact of shutting down the economy versus the safety and health uh, precautions uh, associated with reopening. So there's this major, major, I would say it's probably one of the number one debates going on today in the US is how do you effectively manage the tension between the economic toll of the virus versus the healthcare uh, toll of the virus. And you and I were reflecting that this is, it, it's, it's something that, that we deal with all the time, but it's not as, never as big of a news story. It's like whenever we regulate health issues, there's always an economic consequence. When you regulate air safety or water safety or workplace safety, um, each of those has an economic consequence to them that we capture uh, when we decide these public policies. We try to measure them. We actually do try to figure out like, if we do it this way, there'll be this number less 
deaths when we regulate air safety and, 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 and highway safety. Um, these are trade-offs that are made all the time in government, but they're not big stories, but this one is a big story. So it'd be really interesting to explore how the government does those types of trade-offs and whether that can be helpful in helping the country navigate this um, big debate that we're having today. Well, and it, it takes us back to one of our favorite uh, places, uh, the Office of Management and Budget, and one of our, our favorite kind of hidden corners of that favorite place, the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs. Or where I started right? my career. Which you start, where you start your career. I mean, someday we'll get to the Budget Review Division where I started <laughs> my career. And if, if you think OIRA is geeky, wait till you go into scoring rules. And, and I can't wait. Yeah, I can't and wait. Well, there are some people. There are some people who fist bump, you know, fit, you know, raise their fist um, uh, when I said a eleven. Um, everyone yes. else is scratching their head, wondering. Well, I will say this: the question that I raised around what, around this tension between safety and, and economics, there's probably one or two or three people that are like the best people in the entire world to answer and have a conversation about that. And Dan and I are trying to get one of them to be our guest yeah. on, yeah. on GovAction. We're, we're working on one of them. That's the last we'll mention it because if, if that person doesn't show up, then- They'll then be right. We'll, that we'll never speak we'll, of it again. Yes. But yes. Uh, yeah, and it comes down to cost benefit analysis and, and, and uncomfortable things like what is the value of a, a human life where you have to make some kind of determination and at some level, um, one would argue that having a conversation around that with clear data and discipline and transparency is a great way to make those decisions. And in other cases that, that it may sound so formulaic and numerological that it might be a terrible way. And, and yeah. so we should talk to there's, some there's experts about. Yeah, we should talk to some experts because this is a really interesting debate um, and unlocks in that type of conversation. Until then, stay safe. Yes, you too. Enjoy, enjoy that puppy. We'll try. It's, it's <laughs> mostly, it's mostly enjoyable. Uh, with and go watch Unorthodox. Of, Trust yeah, me. All right, I, I will. It's only it. four episodes. It's worth yeah, it. Yeah, I've only got you know three more episodes of Ozark to get through. And, okay. Um, watching those shows makes you realize that being locked up in your house with your family is actually not so hard. It's not so bad. Yes. So, yeah. It's better than being chased down by a Mexican drug cartel, right? Exactly. And I, I think we, we have to, uh, before we go, because we are, we are people who really appreciate and admire the contributions and sacrifices of those in our federal workforce and other public servants, uh, right down to our, to our grocers and, and UPS yes, delivery really folks point. and postal workers uh, express deep appreciation and admiration for them keeping our society running so we can, we can sit in our our home offices and complain about the relative temperature of the noise in the kitchen. So yes. keep it in perspective. Like it, the, uh, the phrase, not all heroes wear capes, keeps coming up right. as I think about all the people who are out uh, making, uh, making society function in the way it needs to function right now. It's, it's incredible. And you've mentioned a few healthcare workers, retail workers, and in grocery stores. It's, it's a remarkable um, bravery and sacrifice, uh, nurses and doctors. It's just, it's, uh, it's inspiring.
Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Danny. Thank you, Billy. I appreciate you, you doing what you do to try to pull us together. Hopefully we can get this one out and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Billy. Thanks for listening to GovActually. We'd love to hear from you. You can tweet at us at GovActuallyPod, or you can write to Danny at Danny at GovActually.com, or to me at Dan at GovActually.com. And if you haven't already, subscribe to GovActually Podcast on iTunes and write a review. That's how we get pushed up further and more people can hear about us. Thanks again.